I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today, Coleman Hodges, Swim Swam's head of production. And we're bringing back a historian today, a PDR, alum PDR is Pride, Determination, Resilience, Philadelphia Department of Recreation, the first black swimming team in the United States. Uh, we're bringing back Trevor Vreeland. How you doing, buddy? How you doing? How you doing, Mel? Good to see you. bring you back because we didn't have enough time the last time and we wanted to focus on on the history of PDR we wanted to focus on alums and this this great program and what it's done for swimming at the outset mm -hmm. we got it we got it we got to go ahead and, and 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 put everybody in place and let let them know where we're at and what we're thinking we're of course in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd and this national moment of pause where everybody's thinking and uh and swim um, the metrics, the numbers, they, 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 they tell us the truth. The truth is our sport does not look like the United States. It does not reflect the way the United States is broken down. We have 1.5% uh, black swimmers in the United States registered with USA Swimming, 6% mixed. And if we want to be successful as a sport, we, we've, got to, we've got to change the culture, which frankly began – and was Lily White a descendant of, uh, of country club swimming and a lot of privilege. So Trevor, on the outset, let's just dive right in. It's, we got to change that. How, you know, I don't want to just hit you over the head with it, but how do we change that? Big Look, question. You, yeah, so Mel, you, you, you asked me this and you said, how do we, you know, how do we go forward? You know, how do we eradicate racism? And I would say that racism is probably one of the biggest cancers affecting uh, our country. And when, you know, God forbid anyone get diagnosed with cancer of any form, but if you do, what happens? You, there's swift and immediate action, okay? You immediately map out when you can have an operation to remove it, how, what, what are the next steps? There's no hesitation. There is no, you know, non-dealing non with it, or like let's just say non-racist. You become anti-cancer, anti-racist. Okay, so you take immediate action. You can have the operation. You have the operation. If you need to have treatment first and get ready for it and then have it, you have it. And then hopefully it's successful and it's gone. But how do you monitor going afterwards? You have treatment, okay? You have checkups. You make sure that, you know, there's, you know, if you have to have continual radiation, make sure there aren't any ramifications, you do that. And then you have checkups to make sure it's gone. And if something comes back, then you treat it. You just don't act like it doesn't exist. Okay, and that's the best thing I could say in terms of how we go forward. If we treat uh, racism like the cancer that it is, the way we treat that, the, the, the disease that everyone hates in this world, which is cancer, then I think we'll be fine. And if we, no, we, we just have to, we have to, we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. If, everyone has, everyone, if anyone has ever heard that five-letter word said to them in any way, shape, or form, you become uncomfortable. What do you do? You get comfortable with it and you move forward. We got to do the same thing. That's the best way I could put it. Getting in a way where everyone can relate. I think I think that's concise. I, th I think it, it certainly positions everybody. It's like, look, this is what we're up against. It's serious, and it's uh, you know, in, in in talking to you now, like last night, I watched the HBO documentary with Michael Phelps, and um, it's a call to action, and it's a big call to action. I don't know. Did you see it? I did not. Uh, yeah, it's, check it out 
so it's mental health, but mental health is, um, but what, what, here's the thing, what, and how it's applicable. Uh, basically, the greatest Olympian of all time laid bare that, uh, you know, if I busted my knee, if something went wrong, if something was wrong in our sport, we had, we had things to take care of us physically, but nobody cared beyond, um, nobody cared beyond that if, 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 it was, if it was mental health. But it's in, in the same bucket. If there's been a problem in the, in the sport, if it's not about kids on the way to success, it seems like nobody wants to, nobody wants to roll their sleeves up on issues that are uncomfortable. And, uh, but that's, you know, the, what we know as athletes is that's not who we are. We've been taught to face all of everything head on and you can't get around it. You've got to move through it. Right. It's, uh, so we don't have this experience. We don't. It's, uh, you know, in, in our private talks, it's always been, hey, buddy, I'm, you know, wh where am I? You know, you, you taught me, Mel, you're, you're, you're non-racist or anti-racist, and you got to figure out where you are on that spectrum. And I'm, I'm doing my best to, to move to anti-racist. It's, in, in terms of the history, in terms of the sport, people need to know this about you. You went, you swam PDR, but you also swam for uh, UVA. Uh, you graduated undergrad, and then you went on to get your MBA at, at Duke. You're now the managing director at Deutsche Bank. Did I do that correctly? Correct. Amen. Correct. It's, uh, but we, I think it's, it's helpful for people to know our, our history and helpful to know where we come from. And PDR was, uh, was the, the famous team that, that was memorialized in the Lionsgate film Pride. Uh, so I, we want to bring you in and talk about alums. You know, it's uh, what, who came out of this program. And, and you know what? I know it's you. I know Michael Norman. I know, uh, I know one other famous swimmer, Kevin Hart, one of the biggest comedians on earth. Correct. Um, but I, you know, I was hoping you'd come in and educate us a little more about this team and why they're so important. Sure, sure. And uh, I'll, I'll take it back to when I started in the 70s. And uh, we had a very unique uh, phenomenon in Philly in that uh, we actually had uh, three, one, two, three, um, predominantly are all black swim teams. Uh, with black coaches in one city. Okay, so that, that's, that in itself is crazy. Most people didn't know that. And uh, when we set out, when Jim Ellis formed the team, and before it was PDR, it was the Sarah Aquatic Association. That's where I learned how to swim. And that was in the heart of West Philadelphia in the early 70s. It was a pretty rough area. Um, we, he, although we wanted to be the best team in the city, there actually be a swim meet within the city with three different teams that were all black swimming in the early 70s. Uh, the, we, we always strove to be the best and we want to win, but at the end of the day, Jim's vision was bigger than that. He wanted to, be, to become one of the best teams on the highest level we could possibly become and nationally. And he set out, that, that started in 1971 when I was five years old and started swimming. Uh, and so we would routinely have city meets whereas polar bears versus the tiger sharks versus Sayre. Those are the three teams. And uh, we took it the far, farthest and had the most, the biggest national footprint. But I remember we would sometimes have practices. And those practices were, I mean, they were as, they would be almost like a, a meet. I mean, because you had to show up, you didn't want to lose to anybody. You knew who your rivals were. They all went to different high schools in the city. These were all black people. We literally have a, it's almost like if you had, you know, say it was in Florida, and you had bowls swimming with Pine Crest, swimming with, um, uh, one of the other teams, like the Miami Hurricanes, okay? And it was, it was fun. It was barely, uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was kind of like uh, 
playing pickup basketball, that type of mentality where you wanted to win. And uh, that, that was what we kind of brought to the sport is we brought more of an urban feel, but we were still swimming and we learned how to swim and apply that, that passion. Okay, there was a lot of trash talking. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, we wanted, you know, you wanted to beat the person. But then when it was over, we were friends. Um, so that transitioned and we became better and better and better than we, in the, in the late 70s, that's when we had our first national aging ranking, 1979. It was uh, uh, our, four, our 11 and 12 year old uh, male 200 meter freestyle relay. That is why you had the relay that was so prevalent in the, the, Pride, meet, the, the, the Pride movie is because that was one of the things that we were known for from the time I was 10 and under to 11 and 12. We had a, a foursome that almost never lost uh, on the East Coast. Uh, we ended up swimming a lot of rivalries with some of the, uh, some prominent swimmers that came out of Mid-Atlantic, whether it be uh, Jeff Pryor and Sean Kelly in the swim at Cal Berkeley, uh, two of my childhood friends that we talked to this day. Uh, now the desk in Lasco is at Cal. They told us that we have to definitely show up. They've got, they've got uniforms for us. We have to come to the meets with them. Um, Dave Burkhoff is another one that swam with us, and we beat all the relays. So four black kids, we always beat them. And uh, uh, it was, uh, we, we, we chat about it to this day. And after you, the first podcast, they had a lot of comments. If you look at them when I posted it, and we were talking about it, how much fun we had back in the day. So then you fast forward to uh, 83, which when I, was, I was the first person to make a national cut. Uh, and I went off to UVA after that. And then the clock reset. Jim went back to the drawing board and he came out with uh, four kids. He called them the termites because they were so small. Um, I was pretty tall, lanky kid. These guys were midgets compared to me, but they broke I, the I can't imagine. I can't imagine you as lanky. <laughs> <laughs> Very. If you, don't, if you guys don't know Trevor, Trevor is a, is, a, is a tall man. He's fit. He's fit. He's big. He's fit. I was lanky, skinny. You were lanky back then. It's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. you're super fit. No, very skinny. Only two people believed me back then. My mother, Ernestine Freeland, who did everything for me, got me to the meets, practice, sacrificed her entire life to make sure my brother and I had what we needed. And Jim Ellis, he believed in me as well. Because um, my brother was the, you know, the age group superstar. So uh, 1988, fast forward, we break the national age group record in the 200 melee relay for 10 under boys. Um, they went 206.7, I believe it was. I was back to watch it. I just graduated, or was getting ready to graduate from UVA, and I heard about all the things they were doing, and they broke this record. It was insane. It stood until Relay from North Baltimore with one of Michael Phelps took it down. Uh, that's a fact, and Michael, I this think, knows why, This is why we want to talk to you, because like, these, that's an incredible record, but to know that that record, they had to have Michael Phelps to take that record down, knows uh -huh. you, because all records aren't the same. Some records <laughs> are, are more impressive. That's a more yeah. impressive record. We, get, we can all agree on that. Yeah, and so uh, then one of, the, one of the stars of that relay, because usually when you have an age group record, record-setting relay, you always have one summer that's going to be a little better than the rest, or it's going to be a standout summer to help give you that advantage. That was Atiba Wade, who uh, followed uh, Michael Norman to Georgia, swam for Jack Barrelly. He was an NCAA, I think he made All-America one year. He was an SEC uh, finalist in all of his events uh, for four years, very versatile athlete. Um, he was like on the smaller side because he's part of the termites, but he had hops like, uh, uh, like Caleb Dressel. He could jump. Um, he's very athletic, very fit. He, that summer, he broke the national age group record in the 50 meter breaststroke, uh, by almost like nine, eight or nine tenths. He went like 36, 30. It stood for a long time. Um, and actually to this day with all the different 
stars that have come through Middle Atlantic swimming, including Reese Whitley, he still has the Middle Atlantic record for the 1500 meter breaststroke that was set in 1988, 32 years ago. Um, so they still stand. Um, so that 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 set a time frame where we really that was the explosion of uh, PDR swimming, and and what kind of like uh, the move where the, the movie really it started and told a story in terms of when I started and the, a lot of the racial inequity that that existed and the struggle to be great, but uh, we we took it from a national level and age group level to these guys just like not fault, not, not the ball out of the park in terms of success. Uh, we, uh, one of the things they did after the national age record, they set that. So we set in one year, we set an individual record and a relay record. Then you fast forward to the nineties. You had Jason Webb who followed me to UVA and Chucky Cox who swam for a, uh, rival Wilmington aquatic club, but he was an African-American swimmer. And what, 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 one thing that our, team had was a lot of energy and swagger and it was attractive to many 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 african-american swimmers because back then most of them swam on all white teams here you have a black coach a lot of swag everyone loves him everyone knows him and you have a predominantly black team and we're winning so that's a dream okay people like came like we had, we had uh, uh greg Goldwyn left uh greg goldberg left petty swam for us uh he was coached by chris martin who totally understood it because he's like look I would have loved to have swum for PDR back in the day when he was a GA. So uh, we, the, they, we went and did two things. We won the Melee Relay Juniors for three straight meets. So, and we beat Bowles, we beat Pinecrest, we beat Mecklenburg. First time we beat him was in Buffalo. Uh, then we went to Alabama, Tuscaloosa. Chucky Cox had left Wilmington and joined our team. Okay, Jason and Chucky went one, two, and 100 back. Two black, two black men. One, two with Olympic trial cuts in high school in the 90s, which is crazy. You know that. That's hard to do. So then, so the relay comes up. We had just won a Buffalo and everyone's gearing because that we were like an unknown quantity. We were in the outside lane. No one had really knew who we were, not a nationally recognized team. We won, we won it again and they set the a junior national record. So now we wanted to do the three P because that, that, you know, you always want to three P something. So and this is the last time we're going to do it because they're going to be going to college. So uh, that was in Tennessee. And I remember Jim got interviewed before the meet started and he said in the press, it was almost like he was giving them locker room fodder, but like we're gonna three-peat this relay. And so you had the 200 backstroke, the 200 breaststroke, and then the melee relay. Jason Webb wins the 200 backstroke, come from behind victory, junior national record. Michael Norman wins the 200 breaststroke, goes 2.0.81 by two and a half seconds, okay? Then we get up on the melee relay and we win that. And we beat a Greg Troy coach Bowles team. And that was our three P. So again, it was a black team, black coach. It was in the nineties, three consecutive victories. You know, you don't really get that from the, um, the movie, but that was one of the reasons why they had the, the relays were so pr predominant in that story. And if you watch the movie, because of what we were able to accomplish. Uh, and I guess the, the, the grand finale was when you had uh, Byron Davis come swim with us, who's somebody you competed with. And in the 90, 1992 Nationals after Mission Day after Barcelona, we got fourth in the 400 medley relay. We won the B Heat and beat everybody but the top three teams in the A. So you had four African-American men standing up at a national championship on a relay coached by a black team, black coach, excuse me. So 
So those are some of the people that swam with the team. You had a lot. Daniel Strader left Germantown Academy and left when she came up from Texas one summer and swam for us her last two or three years. She loved it. Uh, you had uh, several swimmers leave. Boss catcher comes swim with us. Uh, you had uh, obviously Mike Norman, uh, national national team breaststroker, went to Georgia with uh, Atiba Wade. And you had uh, Tony Dool left the team in LA, came and swam with us. Jess Withy was an NCAA swimmer at Syracuse, swam with us. Namsey Ammon swam at Florida State, came and swam with us. So you, it got to the point where you had, at some one point, you had probably 10 to 15 national qualifiers between two ends of a pool, a six-lane indoor pool, which was, you know, by no standards, a, a natatorium. It was more like a recreational pool with lane lines. Um, but practices were intense, and we had a great time. So uh, we've, we've had several national qualifiers, Olympic trial qualifiers. We had a uh, Brielle White, got, I think, fourth? Yeah, fourth in the tournament, back in the 2004 Olympic trials, once they were outside in California. Brian Walters, he swam with us. Uh, after he graduated from Northwestern, he got third in the tournament backstroke to Kraselberg and it might have been Rouse, I'm not sure who the third other person was. It might have been 100, but he got third. Uh, and, you know, now, now I, I guess our most prominent uh, swimmer will be Dustin Lasco, who's on his way to Cal Berkeley um, right now as we speak. But it's, it's so many questions come to mind. We, and it's a, a for you're, you're an extremely positive person. You're, you just, you're, you, you seem like nothing rattles you. And uh, so I, I want to know this. In, in all that success, on the trajectory with having all the success, watching this happen, um, you know what, it's, I, I got to be honest with you, if I, if I, was, if I was competing, because I wasn't, I wasn't competing in the area at the time, it's if I was competing and, uh, and I saw this, I would be stopping and staring. It would be it would be such an unusual thing to sw- to see culturally. You know, did you what did you feel like? You said you had. They said the team had swagger, but uh, what's we did? We, what did we you had, feel we had like? Swagger. That's we always wanted to uh, do it with style and class. Uh, that was Jim's uh, one of his hallmarks. You know, we wanted to. Uh, we never wanted to be feel like we had to be. Uh, something that we weren't and we never wanted to feel like we had to, we, we belonged. We were going to walk in and act like we belonged and we were going to be, be assertive and we were going to uh, uh, take this to the highest level possible and do it with style and class. Um, I mean, when I showed up at um, UVA and I, I always dressed well when we traveled and, and people would always comment, some of the, 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 my teammates' parents, like Trevor's always dressed so well, but that's how we dress when we travel uh, at, at PDR. And, uh, we, uh, I remember, uh, this is a funny story, but we're talking about Tiba Wade. We went down to this big uh, invitation on Greensboro, two charter buses. It's where Todd DeSorbo, who now is the coach of uh, UVA, swam. And he, he was a, a big age group superstar. He and his brother and another set of brothers, the Counts brothers. And uh, this is when we took our national age group setting medley relay record. National age group re- setting relay down. That was when the, they were together, and that was in their, they were in their prime. They went down there. They didn't know who we were. We were a team from Philadelphia. We roll in, you know, everybody's like great, great sweatsuits, you know, dressed uh, uniformly, get off the bus, nice bus outside. And, and the, 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 the GSA had some great relays at that time. And DeSorbo, I remember he told me, he's like, Trevor, I know who you are. I remember, because when I met him, he told me this story. That's how I know. Because at that time, I was actually still UVA. He said, you guys, and I knew we were going down to the knee because I talked to Jim so much. 
But they rolled in, and DeSorbo thought he could swim breaststroke. And he swam against a Tiba. And he, got, he said, he beat me so bad, I never want to swim breaststroke ever again. And, you know, later that summer, he sets the national age group record, a 50-meter breaststroke. That stands for at least 10 years. Um, so um, it was kind of uh, the way we kind of rolled, and that was how we were taught. And you're going to walk in, you're going to be respectful, but you're going to be assertive. Okay. And um, yeah, people would stare, but hey, it is what it is. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to put this, let, let's just get right to it. It's a, it's a, did it make you uncomfortable? Did you, you know, inside, inside the culture of swim when your kid did, did it make you, did you ever feel uncomfortable because it was different? Uh, not really, because we love the sport. And uh, only if someone said something that was, only if there was like more of a microaggression as we talked about before. Um, but uh, no, I mean, you're gonna, it, it, it's gonna happen, but you let it roll off your back. And Jim kind of insulated us from that. And he kept us from some of that, some of the things that happened. He kind of like took that on as something that he would deal with. Um, but I mean, we were aware of it. But to say we weren't aware, wouldn't, weren't, say we weren't aware of it would be a lot, be, uh, you know, I wouldn't be truthful. We were aware of it, but you just keep rolling. It's part of being black in America. Okay. You know, and if you're gonna swim, then it's definitely gonna be part of it. So uh, it was uh, something we were aware of, but we just dealt with that. We moved forward. Um, sounds like it sounds like Jim. Uh, sounds like Jim's a towering figure. It's uh, so I, it's, I'm sorry, I even have to ask this. I asked you if, you're, if, if it was ever uncomfortable. I, I, I appreciate. There's one chance. There's one instance where I was definitely uncomfortable. I'll never forget this. Um, I was because uh, it was at our home pool, so we swam at John B. Kelly pool home of the 1976 National U.S. Swimming Championships. It's a fantastic pool outside. That's where Jonty Skinner went 49-44 and 100 free. Uh, broke the world record after Jim Montgomery went 49-99 in Montreal, but they weren't allowed to go because of the, um, the boycott. South Africa, South Africa couldn't go, so he didn't get to swim. And then uh, two, was it three weeks later, after the Olympics in Montreal, he goes a half a second fast. That, that swim was amazing. I watched it. So a year later, we're having the... Uh, Philadelphia Swimming Director Society, PSDS. It was probably like the East Coast Championships. It was the best teams on the East Coast swam. That's where I got to know Sean Killian, Jeff Pryor, Burkhoff. I swam against them all. Um, uh, you know, you have Umley there, Upper Main Line Y. You have Bernal's Gators there. You have Germantown, Foxcatcher, every Malvern, all, all the biggest teams on the East Coast were there. And uh, uh, we, I, I was 10 years old, and I'm walking into the meet, St standard, standard issue arena swim bag from back in the day, a little pocket for the goggles on the side. Now it's the backpacks. Back then you had the shoulder bags, okay? Pool buoy, kickboard. I'm walking in with the whole thing. A woman stops me for finals. She's like, excuse me, where are you going? And I'm looking at her. I'm like, okay, I have a bag, kickboard, pool buoy, standard arena, like standard issue. Where am I going? Where do you think I'm going? Like, and she's like, I'm, I'm swimming. Like, well, you want to show me that you name on a heat sheet? I'm like, so now when does anyone ever do that? I did it. I got in there. I won the 50 freestyle. And the funny thing is, I'm reminded of that because the person when I won, that's back in the day when you had Omega timing and you had uh, the silver tapes. And the woman who was doing the timing was one of the Walsh sisters who was a really phenomenal um, swimming family from best vesper boat club and her daughter now swims at uva and so she actually her i remember she came up to me at one meet and i was there she said hey i think i know your mom my mom i said i know, I know just who you're talking about and i, I know your mom and tell her i said hello 
But think about that. Uh, but that's crazy. You know, you walk in, somebody's stopping you and asking me, where, where, where are you going? Where do you think I'm going? I could see if I had a basketball, basketball shorts, you know, I'm going to a swimming, where, uh, that, you, you, you could ask someone that question, whether they're white, black, brown, whatever. I have a swimming bag, I have a, a pool buoy, and I have a, a kickboard, all my stuff to warm up in. And I'm at, this is the pool that I swim in every day at 7.30. So I know the woman, person became, you know, friends with my family, and it's, it's something I'll never forget, because then they acted like it was no big deal. But I'm never gonna forget that, because there's only one reason why you stopped me and asked me where I was going. And it was funny, because I walked out afterwards and I won. Okay, and you're, you don't want to let me come in and warm up. So it's, it's, it, well, we have to ask the question and my, and I know that's one example and you have more examples, but it's the, uh, and the, and the other question is this, did you, um, did you ever feel unsafe ever in, if, when you were with Jim and you were with the team and you were moving together as a team, it sounded like this, there's something happens when you're the team, you, you feel stronger, you feel protected, you feel good no matter what, but inside PDR and that experience when you were in your formative years, did you ever feel unsafe in that traveling, competing? Never. Never? Never. Jim, Jim took great care of us. The parent base, the parents that we had, we had uh, a strong parent base. Uh, my mother was a part of that. She was leading the pack. And uh, you, you had, and it's funny, you had a lot of fathers there too, because they talk about, you know, black families and the fathers not being present, but we traveled as a group. You know, a lot of the fathers were always there with them, uh, with us, excuse me. Mine wasn't, but, but, but they, we had a, group, a, a nice following of people. I think we were always safe. We didn't, uh, we didn't feel like we weren't. And I got to tell you, it was a very welcoming environment. Like I said, when we swam in Mid-Atlantic, was, that was when Mid-Atlantic was one of the top three LSCs in the country in swimming. And the names I rolled off to you earlier, you know them. And uh, these are the people that I grew up with and that are my childhood friends swimming. And they had an impact on national, world, Olympic level. Um, Sean Killian had the American record for in an 800 free for at least eight or nine, ten years, and he stood forever. I remember the time, 752, I think it was 752.45. Um, but uh, he was one of the people that got um, shafted with that uh, boycott the Olympics. But um, great swimmer and a uh, distance guy. But we we used to battle out relays uh, with him and uh, as an age grouper. I remember uh, we swam a lot with. Uh, Willingboro, he was at Willingboro Country Club in Jersey Wahoos, and then you had uh, Upper Main Line Y, and uh, people like Chris Kraft, Mitch Bormack, and we used to always battle with them. And I remember one of the swimmers said, reached out to me and told me, he said, our coach told us that you guys are going to sit back, and when you get older, you're going to realize just how um, uh, big this is right now. But what they're doing is, is really big. Um, and she was a big supporter of ours. But the, so we had, when you talk about these microaggressions that are going on right now, there are also a lot of positive things that uh, uh, went on as well, because this is in the 70s. And you had people that really looked out for us, wanted to see us succeed, and, and kind of like worked with Jim. And, and, and like, because he was always a student of the sport, still is to this day. He wanted to be better. And they helped us get from the team that was battling about with the two other teams in Philadelphia to being a team that was, you know, prominent on a national stage. And in 1994, the U.S. Junior Nationals were in Michigan. And uh, I think we got, and Ann Arbor and Canada Mandatorium, we got fourth a team, I think we got fourth. Yeah, we, we were the, the one place from getting a team trophy. And it was a predominantly black team. And by that time, floodgates had opened up. That's around when Kevin Hart was swimming on the team as well. Uh, yeah, then the team ended up getting close to 50-50. I mean, because like I said, Jim's a great coach, product speak for itself. 
you know, results, results are what they are. And uh, he was a lot of fun to be around. And uh, you had, you know, people leaving other teams come swim for him that were not black. I mean, you had the phenomenon of all the national level black, black swimmers that could get to Philly for the summer, but they were in college. They wanted to come swim Philly. Okay. Uh, we had several that did that. Yeah. yeah. And then, then transcends everything. Uh huh. But but we we want we got, I think yeah I was at that meet we got uh, I think it was fourth we just missed getting a team trophy which is crazy mm-hmm. we had someone swimming in every event so we took the stereotype of you can only sprint and we threw that away we had someone in the fiftieth of the mile all the backstrokes all the breaststrokes press butterflies freeze IMs all three relays both sexes and we got fourth. You're um, talking about the footprint of PDR and that and it's and it's massive and it's amazing but you know swimming is a lot more than just success. And uh, you brought up Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is is one of the biggest. He's the biggest comedian on, on the planet. It's it, it's visible uh, from every you, you name it. He does it. Well, um, could he swim fast? He's got it. He's got He's got He's He's been on a couple podcasts. And he's talked about about it. So he he's he will fool anyone if he gets in the pool. And you're gonna think, okay, this guy can't swim. And his butterfly was perfect. Okay, and you're a butterfly. You're an Olympic champion butterfly. His butterfly is pretty. Okay, he was not as you know. We usually went lane one was the fastest, and the fastest intervals over lane six. He was usually in lane five or six. Um, but uh, you know, he'll, he'll readily admit that. But that was also a testament to how good the team was. And like I said, that's when we used to have to split ends. You'd have three or four people pushing from each end, all six lanes packed. And you would, for the first four lanes across, the person going sec- first and second at each end, but all had national cuts. Okay. It was crazy. We had a great time. And um, good, good atmosphere for him, positive. It had, it had, it's, you know, it impacted his life and his confidence going forward because mm-hmm. that's what swimming does. I just had to ask the question because I thought it was funny. But like Kevin, he always, he, he always would tell jokes. I'll tell you that. When I was coaching, he would have a, if you missed an interval and you get, when I was coaching in the summers in between UVA when I was, you know, at home before I went back and coach it a little bit uh, the age group practices or he would always have some smart remark or something funny to say at all times so it's no surprise he's doing what he's doing right now and, and as, we're all behind him we're all happy for him as as we as we share with everybody that's listening we, we, we brought Trevor on because we wanted PDR history we wanted we wanted to we want to know about the footprint and and the roots and 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 the impact on swim and it's deep and it's massive and you did it very quickly we're down to seven minutes we started off with with a pretty tough question and uh, you gave us a concise answer with with a very powerful medical metaphor in terms of racism is cancer and when someone has cancer they react immediately Uh, a tall order for us is how we're going to go forward in our sport and how we're going to make our sport look more like the United States and uh, I don't have answers for that. I have, I have uh, you know, I, I, I can start being creative and list them off. It's, um, but we need towering figures like Jim Ellis. And we Jim need, uh, Jim we need work. Have you, I'm, I'm sure you've thought about it. It's, uh, if, if you had a, you know, a, a plan, a war plan to move forward, what are some things that you would you'd want to see happen? And we might get into this and we might have to bring you back to talk about it. <laughs> well, you, you gotta, you have to just normalize the ability to, 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 to have access. To, first of all, I love make a splash with it. You just want generally my buddy, Cullen Jones started, you know, really working with that across the country as he, you know, became so infamous as a um, double Olympian and multiple gold, Olympic gold medalist and world record holder. 
that you need to learn how to swim, uh, be safe in the water because he almost drowned. That's how he learned how to swim. And so uh, uh, we need to, to, to get more people of color swimming. And most people of color do not swim. Once we do that, then we can show people the avenues that exist if you choose to go the path of, okay, I want to take this the skill that I've learned and, and take it into be a sport and, and, and swim and see what, what exists. Because most people don't know what swimming entails in terms of competitive swimming. The hours, the, uh, the monetary sacrifice, what it takes, that, that commitment, the time commitment. Um, but uh, given the, the success, it was one and a half percent of the people in, in terms of African-Americans swimming in this country. Given the level of success we see at the top line, the faces we see, that just shows you what will happen and the depth that you're going to see in U.S. swimming if we they make that number 25% or 50, which I don't think should be unrealistic because it's a life skill. And, you know, we're all, we're, this, this country is built around bodies of water. and You should be able to exist in that and, and save your life. And then if you choose to take it further, you take it further. But if you just have that foundation, then I think we can help change that. Learning how to swim is a right and it needs to be a right for every kid in the United States. And that, 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 that starts to open the door. It's, uh, it's access to pools. It's access to pools. And uh, if you go into uh, our cities are historically designed to separate uh, minorities, blacks, and whites. I, I'm, I'm t- we're talking to you from our HQ in Austin, Texas. And I-35 was designed to split the city for that very reason. And if you spend time on the west side, a lot of great pools. East side, I challenge you to find a great pool. I think there might be a, a pool or two, but it's um, that's that's and that's that's and that's just investment in uh, in our society. Period. It's uh, in, in in terms of I, I something came to mind. It was really important, and I've completely forgot it. <laughs> it's a. When, I, when, I, when, when, you, when you're thinking about 1.5%, you're talking about the success rate. It's a, uh, let's just go ahead and say, uh, here's an exclusive on the podcast right now. Um, Reese Whitley is on the cover of the next issue of Swim Swine Magazine. Um, he's on the cover because he's leading Cal, and Cal is in the hunt to win the NC2As. God, hoping we have an NC2As. Um, yeah, the success for Team USA on the world stage is uh, it's massive. In, in terms of, of our talent that we have now, and it's uh, and talent is coming rising faster. When, when whenever you whenever there's someone new, you always say, "Hey Mel, keep your eyes open here. Who are you seeing that's rising talent? It's a black swimmer in America." And you're like, "You got to pay attention." Right now, well, Reese is established. If you see people coming up, um, you have the Ulet sisters in uh, in Georgia. They're amazing, both of them. Um, I think that uh, they're going to do great things. Um, and uh, you're seeing, I haven't been as in touch with, uh, I've seen the, their successes. I haven't seen many others, but that I might just be out of touch with that. I've been kind of busy right now and have, have traveled to some of the meets um, like I would have liked to last year and obviously this year they got curtailed. Um, but uh, I know uh, the U.S. sisters are really uh, doing some big things. And I, then you also have um, Jack Levant at uh, Stanford. Uh, and you have, uh, like, obviously, I'm going to talk about my uh, UVA swimmers, but you have Sabir Muhammad's son who's coming to UVA. And uh, he's going to be swimming with Todd Sorbo. So from what I know of Kamal, his talents fit right into what uh, the UVA program and Sorbo's skills are going to look to enhance. So I think um, 
I think uh, those are some of the, the few, but right there, three of them are coming out of the city of Atlanta. And Jack Levance, I think he's a West Coast guy. Um, but, uh, I mean, he was, what, two tenths or a tenth off of making the four by two relay for Pan Packs. And, you know, he was in high school. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a plethora of talent out there. And uh, it's, it's, you know, there's going to be some really good things that can get done. And don't forget Alexis Wenger at UVA. So uh, I think she's going to be a 100 breaststroke NCAA champion before it's over. So, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's a considerable talent pool out there, and there's so much yet to be tapped. Um, but between Alexis, Kamal, uh, you, let, you let girls, and, um, and Jack, uh, they're going to join Reese. And you still got Giles swimming, you got Simone, Leah, um, Irvin still in the water. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a plethora oh, of people uh, swimming. You got, don't, forget, don't forget my girl, Natalie Hines, either. Okay, that's what Natalie, yeah, Natalie, Natalie's doing some things. I, I love Irvin, but he, he's sort of in the water. He's sort of in the water. <laughs> he's doing it to look they said, good. They, they, said <laughs> that, they said that in 2016, and he won. All right. We, we, we're going to have to bring you back on because you're, you're so interesting and you understand the sport and, and, and from in, in a way that is, is, is impressive. Like I said before, there's like three or four people on earth who know what you know about swimming and, as a whole. But uh, you have any, any parting thoughts? We're down to like 30 seconds. I just want to thank you really for uh, asking me to come on and do this. I did not do things like this, but I thought that this was necessary. And you asked me. And thank you for your friendship and, 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 and allowing me to learn more about you. And, um, uh, but allowing to tell a story about PDR. I think Jim Ellis uh, was a pioneer in, in, in the sport. And what he did is, was just phenomenal. And we sit back and laugh about a bunch of our alums as well as Jim and I, because we were just, we had a mission, and a plan we wanted to, wanted to execute. And looking at what's going on right now, both from social unrest as well as just, you know, um, the, the state of the country right now, what we did and the way we did it and the friendships that we made, the positive things were just amazing. And I think if we can get back to those basics, that'll solve a lot of issues that we have right now. But we got to eradicate this cancer um, called racism and I think get more people of color into the water and you're going to see just excellent things happen. You've been listening to the Swim Swam Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.